0: Welcome to the Peckway Church Podcast. We're glad you're here. At Peckway, our mission is to transform lives by connecting people with God and with each other. It's our hope
1: that this message will give you hope and encourage you to take the next step in your journey with Christ. For more information about our services and weekly ministries,
0: visit us at peckwaychurch.com. stand as we begin celebrating Jesus who is Emmanuel, God with us. Let's worship him. take us
1: love it's more than a feeling and greater than something we fall into and out of love is the ongoing sacrifice of our own desires for the ongoing well-being of others and at the center of the Christmas story love is exactly what God is lavishing on us all his love is why he becomes flesh It's why he lives with us and it's why he dies for us. That love is what our world needs the most right now. And our own hearts would do well to drink deeply from God's love too. It's an invitation for every person and it's here now because Jesus is here now. This is love. Welcome to Christmas.
0: Church, thank you for being here this morning as we uh, are ending our, our Christmas um, sermon series. That we're coming, we've talked about the hope that we have, the peace that we have, the joy that we can have in Jesus, and now we talk about the love that we can have because of who Jesus is, what He came to do for us. And as that video just explained, that love shows us that the Bible tells us that God so loved the world that He sent His only Son so that we could be redeemed, right? You know that verse, John 3, 16. Uh, And so we celebrate his love today. So have your notes ready as we do that and uh, a little bit later as we have that message. If you are a first-time guest with us here this morning, thank you for being here at Peckway Church, whether you're in person or online. Uh, And we would love to get to know you. A great way to do that is you can simply take out your mobile phone and you can text the word hello to 717-872-5679. You'll see it there on the screens. It's uh, the word hello to 717-872-5679. You'll get a quick text right back. And then uh, we'll be able to communicate with each other. And uh, so, real simple and easy. Also, for those of you here in person, inside of your bulletin is a connection card, a great connection card. I'm going to invite you to go ahead and take that out right now. Please fill that out sometime today. And we ask everyone to fill out that card, whether you've been here a million times or if this is your very first time. So, great way that we can do that once again. There's some things on the back of that card if you have prayer requests, comments, want to know more about Peckway Church, if you make a decision today, we would love to know that. would love to partner with you and help you in your journey with Jesus and uh, and to pray along with you if you if you decide to put a request there so I invite you to do that anytime during today's service well you know as we were talking about love we're gonna be talking about the faith that Mary had and that the love that she had that she received what God gave her and that God told her that she was gonna be the mother of Jesus and what an incredible story for a young girl to have such faith but also love God so much. And so today, as we hear that, I hope that you're encouraged by that, but also through the songs that we'll sing. So I'm gonna invite you to stand once again as we sing another carol this morning. Uh, It came upon a midnight clear, but there's a chorus that uh, hopefully you'll be familiar with, but it talks about the love song. And the love song is that God loves us, just like that scripture says, that he so loved the world that he gave us Jesus. And Jesus is our love song today. So let's worship him.
2: Came upon the midnight clear, that glorious song of old from angels.
0: Us that he is the wonderful counselor, the prince of peace. And so, as we sing this song, would you worship him as we're reminded of that today through this song?
2: You were the word at the beginning, one with God. name it is, nothing compares to this, what a beautiful name it is, the name of Jesus. You didn't want heaven without us, so Jesus, you A wonderful name it is Nothing compares to this What a wonderful name it is
0: Jesus, we thank you for the power that there is in your name. We thank you that you are Emmanuel, that you are God with us. and That in this very moment, in every moment to follow, that you are always with us, God. You tell us that we are never alone. And Father, we thank you for those promises, the precious promises of who you are. And we thank you for the love that you had for us, that you were willing to lay down your life for us, Even when we uh, were, it says, yet sinners. And so, Father, we're so grateful for that today. We're we're grateful for the plan uh, that you had from the very beginning of time, that you would write this beautiful love song to us, God, that you would be our love song. And so, today, as we worship you, Father, would you speak to our hearts? Would you help us to see anew and afresh this love that you have for us? And we pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated.
1: Well, just as I settle in, I just want to say good morning. But I also just want to stop and say, as I always do, and it's always from my heart, but especially today, thank you, worship team. Thank you, tech team. I was reflecting even as we went through the service, as we went through the music portion of the service, I reflected, you know, when I started in ministry almost 30 years ago, it was kind of a mic on a piano or on an organ. And maybe a choir and that was it. And, and I just realized the complexity today of videos and sound. There were no videos when I started out in the ministry when I came to Christ back in the late 80s. The, the reality is none of that was there. And, and the truth is, and you probably didn't pick it up, and that's a good thing and a compliment to the tech team, they've been fighting issues all morning. And not what they're doing, we not only have resonant technology, we have technology online, we have technology that has to get uploaded and downloaded, and they've been dealing with that, and so I just want to say thank you, guys. Thank you for the work that you do week in and week out, but... As Scott said, in some sense we are, and I'm kind of a spoiler alert, but we're continuing in some sense wrapping up our series, our, our lead up to Christmas. But really with that said, I just want to tell you that I'm going to keep it going for a few more Sundays because in my preparation this week, I just got so caught up in this individual. I I just had kind of another sermon come and another sermon come. So hopefully if you're excited about this individual, that's good. If not, hopefully you'll just love me and you'll come anyhow. But here's what I want to do. I, I want to continue our journey toward Christmas today by looking at the second most important person in the Christmas story. We all know the first, right? Jesus. But I want to look at the second most important person in the Christmas story. A woman who honestly we need to understand, and I'm going to drive home today, was really just a girl. I mean, literally, just a girl. But she was so significant that there never has been, nor will there ever be, anyone ever like her. And you say, why do you say that, Jerry? Well, let me just kind of net it out for you. For she alone was a woman to be called blessed of all women. She alone, this young girl, and as she became an adult, was the only one to ever experience a conception as a virgin. She was the only one to ever give birth to not only someone fully man, but fully God the Son of God, and for that fact, she earned the title, the identification, as the Mother of God. She alone was the person who was present at Jesus' birth and Jesus' death. And for that reason, she was also the only person present at the coming of the Holy Spirit and the birth of the church, which means she alone is literally not only the only woman, but the only person who literally saw from the beginning to end Jesus' life in ministry. Really, the more accurate way is she, she watched Jesus' life and ministry from beginning to beginning because it has not It continues and will continue to continue. But we all know her name, don't we? We do. It's Mary. But here's the thing. Because of that incredible legacy and because of who she was, people, rightfully so, began to honor her. But, it, but I would suggest... The only better way I could describe it is some incredible ways, maybe even extreme ways, because the folk theology began to grow up around this young lady, this woman, that she lived and died a sinless life, that she, in fact, they said was born sinless. They said, again, the theology that grew up around her, that she experienced no pain in childbirth. And instead of actually dying, folk theology, the people of the day began to say, well, no, she was taken directly to heaven, And that because of that she she was able to communicate grace just like jesus can communicate communicate grace and therefore she can serve as a mediator between us and jesus and so we can pray to her and that folk theology that grew up around this lady mary really became canonized it became doctrine in the catholic church and it's contributed to what some of us understand to be the theological divide that exists between protestants and Catholics now there's many things we share in common but this is not one of them there's this divide because while as Protestants we recognize and honor and respect and look in many ways to Mary's example the reality is we believe this veneration of Mary really goes beyond what the Bible teaches it goes beyond what we can substantiate from God's word but again we all know her name don't we we all respect her it's Mary but here's my question. Here's really where I want to begin. We've done it many times through the series, but what do we really know about Mary? I mean, take aside the storybooks, take aside what you've heard and maybe picked up in Sunday school class or along the way on the streets. What do we really know about Mary? And I would suggest to you the best place to go to find the truth about Mary is God's Word. So let's begin where the Bible begins, where Luke begins, with a visit of an angel that we're told is named Gabriel. To this young girl take a look at it if you haven't taken out your outlines please do so or if you want to follow along in your bibles turn to the gospel of luke the first chapter and i'm going to begin reading with verse 26 of luke chapter 1 here's what it says in the sixth month god sent the angel gabriel to nazareth a town in galilee to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named joseph a descendant of david the virgin's name was mary now right off the bat I'm going to suggest to you you, there are four significant things Luke shares with us in that. But if you're kind of uh, the person that enjoys action and, and personal story, then you maybe yawned as I read that. But I want to tell you, you need to pay attention to this. And we need to spend time with this because what Luke shares here, which seems just like biographical information, is foundational to our ability to have faith In Jesus, to understand who he truly was and what he really came to accomplish. So let's just look at it. Let's just take some time and net this out. What does Luke tell us about this girl, this woman named Mary? Let me just give it to you. Here's the first thing he tells us. He tells us she was from the town of Nazareth. Now, again, some of you are going, yawn. You know, What's so important about Nazareth? Well, let me explain this to you because, again, we need to disabuse ourselves of what we know. We need to go back in time to what was the reality in that day. So here's what we need to know. While Nazareth today is a, is a vacation destination, it is a tourist destination, if you've been to Israel, I promise you, you wanted to go to Nazareth. I did, and I honestly want to tell you it was one of my favorite places to go. But the reality is that was not true back then. Nobody wanted to go to Nazareth. It was a backwater, you know, unimportant, dead-end kind of town that quite honestly had a far from respectable reputation. In fact, it had a disreputable reputation. You say, Jerry, where do you get that? Two places. The first place is just the extra-biblical sources. The, the historians like Josephus and Eusebius and, and others that write about that time, who were living in that time, but we can go to the Scripture itself. Write this down, it's not there on your outline, but let me just, and that's my fault, it was in my notes and I failed to put it in there for you, but write down 1 John chapter 1, and that not 1 John, but the Gospel of John chapter 1, verses 45 and 46. Let me tell you the background of that, maybe you can flip to it in your Bible. Jesus is beginning in his ministry, and at the start of the ministry, he's already called two men to follow him, but he goes to the third, he's a man by the name of Philip, and he looks to Philip and he says, Philip, follow me. And Philip did what we still do to this day. As soon as we find Jesus, as soon as we meet Jesus, we go and tell our friends and our family. And that's what he did. The best we can tell, Philip was called to follow Jesus. And we're told by John that the next thing he did is he found his friend Nathaniel. And let me read to you what he says to Nathaniel. He says, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law. And about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now, that's what Philip said. You know, the very first thing that came out of Nathaniel's mouth when Philip said that, he said, Nazareth, can anything good come from Nazareth? Folks, that was Mary's hometown. That's how people were viewed who were what they were referred to in that day as Nazarenes. Some of you have grown up, like myself, in the church of the Nazarene. That name was chosen for a reason, because it was spoken of in derision. It was spoken of people who were not respected. And so it's this identification for people that were of bad reputation. That was who Mary was a part of. The town of Nazareth. She was a Nazarene. Second, we're told that Mary was a virgin. Now, since this is big church, I don't think I need to explain a whole lot of that to you, right? We all understand what Luke is telling us is that she had never been in a sexual relationship with a man. Now, you don't need explanation there. You just need me to tell you, hold on to that fact, because that fact is crucial to the nature and the significance of Jesus' life, his birth, and his ministry. But let me give you the next two things Luke tells us in his description, and I'm not going to net them all out today. But the third thing he tells us is that Mary was pledged to be married, married to a man by the name of Joseph. And the fourth thing he tells us is that she was very young. Now, folks, there's a lot in there, a lot that we don't understand and appreciate, a lot that Luke would have just assumed that his readers understood, but we are 2,000 years removed, so let me try to help unpack what Luke assumed we knew. Now, the first thing we need to understand there is an engagement in that day usually took place immediately after a girl entered puberty. So, in other words, you've heard me say now multiple times that she was a young girl, Mary. So we can assume, based on that statement and based on cultural practices, that Mary was probably 13, 14, at the most 15 years of age at this time, when this was happening. She was a young girl. The second thing Luke would assume that we knew, that we don't, that we need to, is the fact that Jewish engagements back then were far more binding and significant than they are today. Okay, far more significant. The reality is, and that's because, marriages were a three-stage process. It's not like today. It was a three-stage process. Let me just walk through it. Stage one was this. A girl was pledged. She was pledged to be married. She's usually pledged to be married because a young man's family approached the the, the girl's family and asked for for marriage. And typically, that could happen as early as 12 years of age. Now again, those of you like myself who are fathers of daughters, (laughs) this really messes with me. (laughs) But but in all likelihood, Mary could have been as young as 12 when she was pledged to be married to Joseph. Joseph. And we're just picking up in stage two when we come to this story. And that is stage two was when the couple was betrothed. And you say, what in the world's betrothal?" We've all kind of heard that. We laugh about the word. I kind of chuckle when I say it. But you say, what is that all about? The best way I could help you understand what betrothal was in that day was to say, think of engagements today on steroids. Okay? I mean, they were far more serious, far more binding than they are today. That it really was the situation to where these relationships were treated like marriage itself. For for example, it involved everything but the sexual relationship itself. I mean, in that day, it was culturally appropriate for a man who was betrothed to speak of the woman as being his wife, which is why, if you're familiar with the gospel story, the Christmas story, you know in Mark, it speaks of Mary being Joseph or Joseph being Mary's husband. Why? Why? because of this practice, because of the betrothal, that it was perfectly appropriate for a man to refer to a woman as his wife in this betrothal period, in the engagement period. And here's the thing, that the engagement, again, as I told you already, was so binding, that in that period, the only way the engagement could be broke wasn't the girl giving the ring back, or somebody getting cold feet. No, the only way the engagement could be broken, the betrothal could be broken in that day, was two ways, either through a death, or a divorce, literally a divorce. And if it happened in the first way through death, and, the, and it happened to be the man that died, that girl, from there on in her life, would be referred to considered a widow. Now again, think about that. She could have been 13, 14 years old, and she's already a widow. That's how serious this all was in the Jewish culture. The final stage was almost anticlimactic, and that was the marriage itself. That, that was the, the marriage and again, that usually happened a year after the betrothal. So again, this was a long process. And again, I say it was anticlimactic because again, during the, that engagement betrothal period, the girl could also move in with the man and his family. Now again, they didn't share a bed. But everything else about marriage, everything you and I think about a couple being married was taking place there. You know, if it was today, we, they, were sh- they had a shared checking account. I mean, it was all that stuff. You know, it was his and her towels, the whole nine yards, folks. It was, in fact, they were married. And I share all that because we need to understand that's what Luke had in mind. That's what Luke's communicating to us when he simply passes, in passing, makes the statement that Mary and Joseph were pledged to be married. We need to understand the context. We need to understand Mary's life and what's going on on that day. But the story doesn't stop there. Luke goes on and he tells us now about an angel's message to Mary. Take a look at what he writes next. Luke says, the angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. Now, I want you to underline that, you who are highly favored. Because what I want you to think about the rest of this message is what in the world did the angel mean by saying to Mary, you are highly favored? What was he trying to communicate? And I want you to just hold that thought, and let's just go on, because the best way to answer that question is with the Scripture, with God's Word. So let's go on. Here's what we read. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Now, again, you might look at that and say, time out. The angel just said to her, greetings, you are highly favored. Most of us would be thumping our chest and go, yeah, I knew God liked me better than everyone else. And it says this girl was terrified. Why? Well, remember if you were here last week, what did the typical person when they saw an angel in that day think? They thought it was an omen that they were going to die. You'd be upset too. I would be upset too. I would be terrified. Regardless of the message, Mary, we are told, was frightened. And that's why we said, as we, I said to you last week, the next thing the angel says to her is, don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. He repeats the message. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Now, folks, if you're like me, you've read that passage, that particular part of the Christmas story so many times, that you read it almost without effect. Now, what I mean by that is you read it and you don't feel the true impact of what's going on here. We, we just kind of take it for granted. We can almost, I can almost read that to you without reading it to you by rote. I've read it so many times. Most of you, like me, know it by heart, and yet we, we fail to feel the impact of all that Luke's trying to help us feel and experience. So let's just net it out. Let's just hit the clutch, push it in for a second, and let's just net it out. Think about it. First, Luke tells us that Mary was visited by an angel. Now, I think we'd agree that wasn't an every, everyday experience for her or for anyone back then or even now. Angels don't normally appear. That's why she's afraid. But then the angel comes to her, and he just doesn't just appear at her. He says, you're going to give birth to a son, but time out, Mary. It's not like any son. It, it, it is the Son of God. The one that God promised to Adam and Eve way back immediately after the fall. The child, the son that the prophets have been foretelling for centuries. The child that the people of Israel have been hoping and praying and waiting for for hundreds and hundreds of years. The child that's going to be the savior of the world. The child who's going to be the redeemer. And Mary, God wants to use you and your womb to bring him into the world. And while he's in the world, Mary, God wants you to raise him, protect him, love him. Folks, let that sink in. And then realize that was shared with a 13-year-old girl. I mean, it melts me to think that that might have been said to my daughter as a father. I don't know, how would you have reacted if God said that to you at 14 years of age? Just assume, guys, you could be pregnant. I'm going to go out and a limb and say, I, I suggest all of us would not respond very well. I think I'd be puking from anxiety. But how did Mary respond? See, this is why this woman is so honored. How did she respond? Well, Luke tells us she responded in two ways. She did two things. The first thing he tells us she did is she asked an honest question. For look at what he writes, he said, Mary speaks and says, how can this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. Now if you're familiar with the gospel, please go back and let your mind go back, because Luke has just told us about Zechariah and the prediction and the angel coming to him and telling him about the birth of John, that we tag on the Baptist. And you remember how he responded to that kind of announcement? It wasn't an honest question, it was a skeptical question. Some might even say a cynical question. I don't think it was a combative question, but certainly it was skeptical, maybe even cynical. But that wasn't the case with Mary. It was just an honest question. I mean, folks, it's, the, it's a question that any 13-year-old girl would have asked if an angel would have told her or you would have told her. You're, you're going to be pregnant. You're going to have a baby. You're going to have a little boy. I mean, what would that little girl ask? How, how's that, how can that be? I'm a virgin. I've never been with anyone. And I want you to listen how Luke tells the angel responded, how he answered Mary. He said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to have been barren is in her sixth month. I love this phrase, most of us know it by heart, for nothing is impossible with God. Now again, I'm telling you, if if I would have been Mary, I'd have been puking at this point from anxiety and stress. But what the angel is telling Mary is this child that God wants you to carry and and mother is going to be a direct, heaven-sent, supernatural God thing. And I share that because I did a little research, and even in the evangelical community today, folks, even in the church today, there's about 25% of us that don't believe in the virgin birth. And, and usually why we don't believe in it is because we, we make this kind of argument, and in the, uh, the good news is in America as a whole, only about, or only about 73% of Americans say they still believe in the virgin birth. But if you don't, here's here's usually where you go, and here's where you say, I don't believe it, because the idea that a girl can conceive and give birth without a physical father defies reason and logic and science, right? Isn't that what we hear? Isn't that what we say? And I get that, and I understand that, but what I want to say to you if you're there today is this, thinking that way misses the whole point of the virgin birth and the virgin conception. And I say that, folks, because, you see, the whole reason that God did what he did isn't because God intended it to fit in the biological science logic category. God did what he did because he intended it to fit in the miraculous divine category. Which means, folks, we don't need to try to explain it scientifically, logically, or biologically. Because we can't. That wasn't the point. In fact, that is the point. That God never intended it to be that. God intended this to be miraculous. God wanted Jesus' birth to be unique. God wanted us to see that Jesus and Jesus alone was not only fully man, but fully God. It was a miracle. And folks, when it comes to the miracle of the virgin birth, or any miracle for that matter, the angel was right. Nothing is impossible with God. Now, if you want to argue that the reason you don't believe in the virgin birth is because you don't believe in God, that's a whole different argument, and we can have that. But folks, to say, I believe in the existence of God, but I don't believe in the virgin birth, folks, is not sensical because nothing is impossible for God. For God, who is on the loose in this world, who created this world, who created you and me, to be able to bring a child through the Holy Spirit into Mary's womb, that was just all in a day's work. That's just the way, if you will, God rolls. But that leads us to the second way Mary responded. And that's it. after she asked an honest question, she responded and gave a faith-filled, love-filled yes to God's angel. Take a look at what Luke writes. He says, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. And then Luke says, the angel left her kind of like going, my work here is done, going home. And folks, I want to tell you that that phrase, I am the Lord's servant, may it be to me as you have said, as far as I'm concerned, that one sense right there makes it official. Mary is a rock star. She is a hero of the faith. Folks, think about that. 13-year-old girl saying, I am the Lord's servant. And again, we can't appreciate that. We don't know the language. In the original language, the word is doulos. It's the word slave. I am the Lord's slave. May it be to me as God says. In other words, whatever God says, whatever God wants to do, it's a hard yes. Thirteen years old, folks. Fourteen years old. So please, do not tell yourself, and do not think for a second. Don't let anyone else think or say that that wasn't hard for Mary to say and for Mary to do, because it was. And I think we intellectually appreciate that, but I want to make sure we appreciate it. So let's go back in time to Mary's first century culture, this this backwater, closely-knit Jewish community, and just net this thing out. And where we need to begin is... In that day, folks, unlike our day, a teenage girl being pregnant was a scandal. And so Mary knew the moment she said, may it be to me, as you have said, she knew I was going to be labeled. And we all know the labels, don't we? I mean, they haven't changed. But Let's just sanitize them. She's going to be labeled a girl with little or no moral standards, right? And we all could fill in those labels. And what we need to understand is in that culture, in that day, that the fallout of that label was going to follow her the rest of her life. And probably impact her family for the rest of her life. But it didn't stop there, folks. See, there was this little thing about telling her fiancé, which had been tough enough, ladies, but most scholars believe that Joseph was significantly older. Some some scholars even suggest some of the ancients who were just 100 years after that said Joseph was 80 years age at this time. That's part of why they say he, he was already... This was his second marriage. That's why he doesn't appear after Jesus is 12 years of age. You never hear about him again in the gospel narrative. Why? He's dead. But think about it. She has to tell this man who knew he hadn't slept with her. So, guys, what were you going to ask when your girlfriend comes to you or your fiance comes to you going, I'm pregnant and you're not the dad, and you know you haven't slept with her? So who have you been sleeping with? Right? And here's the reality. Mary knew that this marriage is over before it began if Joseph didn't buy her God's the Father story. Would you have bought it? Joseph, I'm pregnant, but don't worry. You're not the father, but God is. Yeah, we'd all buy that. And the reality is, Matthew tells us Joseph didn't buy it. Matthew tells us he was getting ready to divorce her until an angel showed up. And then Joseph took her into his life. But that's still not the biggest thing Mary had to face down because Mary understood the culture of the day the way we don't understand the culture today. Mary would have known as a good Jewish girl that the penalty under God's law for getting pregnant in engagement, out of marriage, was death. Death by stoning. In other words, this girl was going to die by being pummeled with rocks. The life literally was going to be beaten out of her. So, Mary knew when the angel came to her that saying yes meant scandal, divorce, possible execution. And without missing a beat, she still said, May it be to me as you have said. Now, folks, if that doesn't deserve a collective wow, I don't know what does. She was a rock star of the faith. But that's still an end of the story. For Luke tells us that Mary immediately went to visit her relative Elizabeth. In fact, let me just read it to you, how Luke put it, because the key in all of that was the angel told her that, hey, you know what, Mary, just like what's going on with you, your your relative, we don't know what kind of relationship it was, but your relative Elizabeth, you know what, is miraculously pregnant against all odds just like you. Now, if I was facing that as a 13-year-old kid and I found out someone was going through the same thing, I, I'm going to go see him, right? And so here's what he says. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town. Yeah, I, I would hurry to a town in the hill country of Judah where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women. And blessed is the child you bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt with joy. Blessed is she who has believed what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. Now, folks, I vote with Elizabeth. Mary was indeed blessed among all women. But let's go back to where we started. Was it because she was sinless? No. The Bible never says that. Was it because she could save people and communicate grace to people like Jesus can? No. Again, the Bible never says that. Was she blessed because we could pray to her and she could serve as an intermediary between us and Jesus? No. Again, the Bible never says so. Folks, all those beliefs about Mary, as well-intentioned as they are, folks goes beyond what the Bible actually says. What the Bible actually tells us is this, that Mary was blessed among all women because God asked her to do something radical. God asked her to do something that could only make sense in faith and in love, and she said a hard yes. But have you ever stopped to think that the fact she said yes meant she could have said no? Have you ever stopped to think about that? You say, why do you say that, Jerry? Because here's what I know about God's word. Here's what I know from God's word. Here's what I know from personal experience. God never will and never has forced his will on us in areas of obedience. He never does and never will. Yes, there was going to be a mother of Jesus. It didn't have to be Mary. Mary. It could have been someone else. That's why the angel simply asked his question, raised God's proposition, made God's request, and then fell silent and waited for Mary's response. And folks, by now you know her response. I'm the Lord's slave. May it be to me as you say. Meaning, I'm willing to lose my reputation. I'm willing to lose my friends. I'm willing to lose the security of ever having a family or a home. I'm willing to lose my fiancé. I'm willing to lose my life if necessary, if that's what it takes to do God's will. Now let me just ask you, and please think about this, could you, would you pass that test? I mean, if God came to you, had an angel appear to you and say, You know, let's use me. Jerry, I've got something for you to do. Something I'm asking you to do for me. But understand if you do it, it's going to probably cost you your reputation. It's probably going to cost you your friends. It's probably going to cost you your home, the community you've grown up with. It's probably going to cost you your marriage. It may even cost you your life. Would you say yes to that? Now, I'll be honest with you folks, sitting here in a place like this, in a time like this, it's easy for us to say, oh yeah, I'd say that. I'd do that. I'd say yes to God. But I just simply want to ask you, really? Really? I mean, let's process that answer. If, If God's saying to you, let's just change the dynamics. God came to you and said, you know what? I want you to give up every dollar you have. I mean, in the bank, in your pocket, in your retirement fund. And not only that, God says, you know what, I have something for you, but I want you to give up up your current job, your current income, and your current hopes of ever having another income again. If God came to you and said, I have something for you to do, but, but it could involve you giving up your family, giving up your friends, giving up the home that you live in, the vehicles that you drive, the stuff that you cherish, Would you say yes to that? Would you really be willing to give what Mary gave? And you know what that is, don't you? It's everything. She gave everything she had. Would you really say yes to that? Folks, what I'm trying to do is let Mary challenge us in the areas of our life that she has earned the right to challenge us in. You see, the reality is we we often in the church talk about that the real problem, the real challenge with us doing God's will is knowing God's will. As if if we knew God's will, we would automatically do it. Again, I, I probably sound like a broken record, folks, but really, is that really the issue? I mean, let's let's just go head first into this. Isn't it true? That all of us in our lives are educated way beyond the level of our obedience isn't it true that we all know more about god's will for our life than we're doing i mean the reality is folks we talk about knowing god's will and if we knew god's will we act like it'd be automatic and yet we're not doing the portions of god's will that we already know i mean we all know that we ought to forgive are we forgiving? To love others as ourselves, are we ever not doing that? See, see what I'm trying to help us understand is we need to grapple with the last 5% of Mary's story, and the last 5% is this challenge. Here's the challenge, folks. Let's just get personal. Where is it in your life? Where is it in mine? Where is it in our lives that we know right now abundantly clear what God is asking us to do? He's made it clear what He wants us to do. And yet, for one reason or another, we're saying no. I'm not going to do it. could be something financial. I mean, you know God's calling you to give. You know God's calling you to tithe. Maybe you know, as we go into this Christmas season, God's calling you to give a large, significant gift somewhere. But you're saying no. This is liable to get uncomfortable, but maybe it's... In an area of sexuality. We've come to the place in our life where we're not even battling the porn anymore. We're not even battling the inclinations, desires, and the activity of hooking up. Of living with someone outside of marriage. We know God's standards, but for whatever reason, we're just saying, I'm not going to honor the standards. Maybe it's relational. Are we being graceless to someone, not giving them the benefit of the doubt, choosing to be offended, holding resentments toward people, assuming the worst rather than the best about our brother and sister, even though we know God calls us to be as grace-filled toward others and forgiving toward others as He is toward us? See, Mary challenges us to say, where is in your life that we're telling ourselves, all I need is more insight into God's will? And then I do it when the truth is all we really need is more obedience to God's will. Folks, here's a hard fact that I remember a professor in my undergraduate program said he helped us understand that we should not believe and assume and ask for God to give us more light on his will when we're not being obedient to what he's already given us. And he said, if we consent, continue to persist in ignoring and disobeying what we already know of God's will, then he said, Jesus said, it can, and it one day will, even what we have, God will take away. So again, I'm going to ask us, if God's angel came to us and asked for it all, would we say Yes. And if we can't, I suggest to you, that's why some of us struggle to sing Mary's song in our lives, in our hearts. You didn't know she had a song, right? I want to read a portion of it to you from Eugene Peterson's message. Here's how he puts it. I'm bursting with God news. I'm dancing the song of my Savior God. God took one good look at me, and look what happened. I'm the most fortunate woman on the earth. What God has done for me will never be forgotten. The God whose very name is holy, set apart from all others, his mercy flows in wave after wave after wave on those who are in awe before him. Folks, I'm beyond my time, so let me just say it like this Why did God choose a teenager of 13, 14, at the most 15 years of age, to be the mother of his son, Jesus? I believe it's because God knew she would say yes, a hard yes. And for that reason, Mary was highly favored by God. And Mary is blessed among women, folks, and that's why Mary's life serves even today as a directional beacon for you and me if we want to live a life favored and blessed by God. Because Mary passed the test. She met the challenge. And folks, here's, there's only one way to pass the test. We have to say yes and fully surrender completely and totally to God's will for our life. So my challenge to you at this final message before Christmas is, folks, let's follow Mary's example and make it a habit to say yes to God's will and God's plan, no matter the cost or the risk or the personal price. Let's bow for prayer. Heavenly Father, when we look at Mary and what happened in her life, we're just blown away. I'm just blown away. For the example of this 13, 14, at the most 15-year-old girl is so powerfully convicting. Heavenly Father, she is such a compelling model of what it means to fully surrender our life to your will. Simply because we love you. Simply because we trust you. And so, Father, today I simply ask you as we move in to this incredible week leading up to Christmas, please help us to embrace the challenge Mary's life in response to your plan brings to our lives. And please do not allow us this week or the weeks ahead or even this coming year to minimize or trivialize the incredible courage, the incredible sacrifice, the incredible dangers this young girl faced to be able to say to you, let it be to me as you have said. And so, Father, I simply ask you to open our eyes to what it means to be fully surrendered to your will, no matter the cost. And we pray it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen.
0: Thank you, Jerry. So, we've been challenged today, and is the message that uh, Mary was asked some honest questions, and I think Jerry presented us with some honest questions today about how we're living our life. Are we living our life for Christ or are we living for ourselves? And so the challenge for us today is to answer those questions. Maybe you your heart is being stirred today. You feel God tugging on your heart asking you to answer those questions to say that faith-filled yes. And uh, if that's you today um, whether you're in person or, on, or online, excuse me, um, on, in person, you can use the gray card in front of you this morning. I told you a little bit later that we would have this, that we could make this decision today. If you are struggling with that, you're struggling with that decision, do I, how do I say yes to that? Do I want to say yes to that? Why should I say yes to that? Would you uh, be brave enough to let us know? We won't share that information with anyone else, but uh, as pastoral staff, we gather for prayer we reach out to you if you want that to help you walk this this journey with Jesus so that we can help you answer those questions. We don't know it all. We're not perfect, but we know the perfect person and that's Jesus and we have the perfect book, which is his word, his love letter to us. And so if you would like help with that, please do that on that card today. Online, you can do that through the the Connect link. That'll be there in the chat window as well. And you can always do that through our website as well. I want to also challenge you to share the good news of Jesus as we prepare for Christmas Eve next week, next Saturday. That's coming up. There's two cards in your bulletin this morning. Would you just reach out to someone, share with them. We're going to have a great time. We're going to have a string quartet. We're going to sing some great Christmas carols. We're going to have some fun doing all of those things and seeing the stories of Mary and Joseph, the shepherd and the wise man, uh, as they maybe give us a little insight of what it could have been like if they could tell their personal account of how Jesus changed their life because of the promise of who he was and who he is and continues to be. I hope you have a great rest of your day, and I hope I see you this coming Saturday. Thank you.